today we have beyond a special guest. You know, some folks say you have a special guest, but I'm like, no, nah, we, we have a special guest. We actually have one person for students in this class that can actually validate that I was a high-performing athlete a long time ago. <laughs> this is the one person that can actually confirm and not, and you know, y'all probably think I was pretending I'm just a prof. I'm like, no. A long time ago, I was a high-performing athlete. Today, we have a very, and I say this with the utmost respect, a mentor of mine, uh, someone that I met during my formative years, not just as an athlete, but as a person. We have Wendy Ann Clark. Wendy Ann, thank you very much for joining us today, and please introduce yourself. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Christopher. Um it's been so long and just so awesome to reconnect. Um, I am a former uh, athlete, uh, as as you mentioned. Um, no, you're not I, former. You're never former. See, that that's a qualifier I got to put out. We always say former uh, athletes. If you're an athlete, you're always an athlete. I, I stand corrected. <laughs> I, I currently coach track and field <clears throat> for a bunch of high school students, and uh, I run with them sometimes. So they keep me fit, um, you know. So uh, there is no former. I am an athlete and I'm a journalist. Um, I do have a, a penchant for sports journalism. So um, I have worked in that field. I've covered uh, the 2016 Olympic Games, uh, the 2018 Olympics in, in Pyeongchang as well. Um, and I, I was actually had the opportunity to travel to Brazil to cover the, the Paralympic Games in 2016. So um, it's it's been a, a bit of a whirlwind career uh, since I got into journalism in 2016. Um, and that happened with, of course, the um, uh, the, the the para Pan Am Games and the Pan Am Games that happened in Toronto in 2015 that kind of opened me up to that world. Um, and it's 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 been such a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful experience ever since. Um, I had opportunities to work with the Indigenous Games in North America. Uh, that was 2017 uh, now, and um, also worked with the the World Masters Championships. Currently, I'm I'm working full time with a, a small Canadian newspaper. And I'm also a, a, a freelance sports journalism, so I'm a, a contributor with CBC Sports, um, as well. Uh, recently um, entered the uh, sports column in this rotation at the Toronto Star. Thank you, Wendy Ann. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think for a lot of us, particularly students, you know, in this class, History 205, Rec 202, I always want to know. What really got you in this interest, this intersection of sport, quote unquote, social justice, <laughs> activism, again, quote unquote, activism, you and I both know those words are loaded, <laughs> those terms are loaded, mm -hmm. and really connecting, you know, your voice to sharing this on multiple platforms. Where, where did that drive come from? Um, it came from a very simple place. Um, I'm Black, and uh, I think that for a lot of people... Um, uh, in media and otherwise, uh, the, the, what happened this summer with Joy, George Floyd and the riots that took place, uh, not the riots, but the protests, sorry, that took place all across the world, uh, it was a bit of an awakening for a lot of people. But for many of us, we've been in this space for a very, very long time um, because of our own experiences with, with racism and discrimination. And um, 
there are many uh, black people. You look at you know uh, university campuses that are are majored in in, in sociology and 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 different um, um, the majors of that of that nature. And the reason for that is is because of this racial dynamic that they experience that they just want to understand. And so, as a journalist, um, when the institution that I or the the media outlet that I began working at uh, at the very beginning of my career, which is really just a few years ago. Um, uh, entering into that space, I, I very soon understood that this was not a space that was designed with people like me in mind. Uh, this was not a space that was created for a black woman that loves sports. This was a space that was created more for, you know, the, the white guy that plays hockey on the side of the road, you yep. know. And so there was um, uh, definitely a huge um, uh, uh, lack of awareness. And because of the way uh, content was being put out, the audience um, uh, had a certain uh, look or the, the audience fit a certain demographic. And I, I could very quickly um, uh, see that there was a whole sector of the audience that was, you know, being like overlooked and not seen um, because I was in that audience, you know, and so just trying to toy the line of 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 fitting into that space as a, a new journalist, but at the same time, fully being myself. And uh, at a certain point, I, I discovered that it really just wasn't possible. And I felt um, like many uh, black men and black women uh, feel um, that I needed to have an outlet for myself. And so um, uh, a couple of years ago, I started um, a YouTube channel called Color Commentary. And it was an opportunity for me to talk about um, a lot of the things that, that you talk about in your course, Christopher, mm -hmm. um, uh, to talk about the ways um, in which social justice, these issues of social justice and, and sport intersect. Uh, this is not a new thing. This is thing, something that's been going on for generations and generations, um, uh, even hundreds of years at this point. But uh, we, we saw this uh, major resurgence of, of athlete activism, uh, uh, so-called, uh, over the past a uh, few years, and a lot of people didn't understand. It didn't understand the history uh, because we were coming out of a, a generation that that genuinely believed that we we were in a post-racial world uh, to a large degree, and so uh, there was a need to to put all of this in context. And I, uh, in the workspace I was in, I really uh, saw the anxiety um, that my editors carried around mm. speaking about race. Like every time there was a racial story, you could feel the tension in the room. <laughs> And nobody wanted to touch it. And I was like, I'll touch it. Like, I'm, <laughs> you know, um, and um, uh, it became um, a very, uh, I think, scary environment for a lot of um, uh, white people in right. media because they didn't it wasn't just that um, uh, they they were afraid to say the wrong thing. They just they didn't even know what the wrong thing was mm. because they'd never done that work. They haven't done um, that. Uh, they weren't educated. They didn't they didn't take that time to educate themselves. And when they looked around the room, there were very few options for people to even ask a question to, you know. So um, 
it was it was very very telling and um for the first time we saw the need for why this is important, but at the same time, it wasn't enough for them to make a change, you know, like it wasn't enough for, for things to be ignited. And, and that I think was the frustrating piece. And so it was, it really wasn't until this summer that uh, I think that people have been forced to, to transition and to, to do something about it. And so we've seen more um, uh, tangible change, you know, uh, it's been a slow process, but um I, I, I hope um, that it's something that we're, we're genuinely con- committed to as media. And I mean, the way you explain that is fantastic. How people now are confronted, forced mm-hmm. to engage in this conversation. I, I frame these as conversations because, as we know, we're still searching for answers. Right. We're still searching for consensus. So I frame it as conversations. And again, looking at your, your YouTube channel, Color Commentary, you know, topics such as on, on Jackie Robinson that we're going to focus on, that we are focusing on in this course, how to be an ally for racial equality, you know, focusing on Jay-Z and social justice. I mean, it really hits home to what this class is about and really tying in the interest that a lot of folks have in sport, but never really saw the intersections in race, racism, history, and mm-hmm. social justice. Mm-hmm. And the big thing that really caught my eye you know, I'm flipping. I'm, I'm still that old school person. You know, I get the Toronto Star every morning. I sit, you know, with my coffee, the, the actual physical paper. Mm-hmm. I'm flipping through in the fall and I'm like, OK, yeah, NBA players took a big stand against racism this season. Will the league continue to stand behind? OK, cool. You know, I'm reading it. And I see Wendy Ann Clark. I'm like, hold up. <laughs> I know this person. And I'm reading this article and I'm like, bam. First time I've seen in a mainstream when I say mainstream, I'm talking Toronto Star, Globe and Mail, National Post. Right. News outlet, somebody mentioned the term jockey syndrome. Mm. And my eyes exploded. <laughs> I was just like, whoa. Yeah. So, Wendy Ann, can you explain a little bit about the article, the the impetus to creating it, jockey syndrome? Like, mm. Where did this all come about? Because for me, it was like a kid in a candy store, you know, somebody who loves history, someone who loves sport. And I'm reading this and it's somebody that I know who's writing this. And I thought it was fantastic. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah. So the impetus for that was really everything that uh, we were witnessing going on um, at that time. In that particular moment, we were um, there was a lot of race based stories that were coming out uh, in sport and otherwise. And I'm on social media and I'm reading the comments, you know, and this overwhelming um, amount of comments on people that are just um, letting their colors show, you know, and just really frustrated. Literally and figuratively. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, just really uh, frustrated by it and um, just the outspokenness of athletes and uh, just with a a real uh, shut up and dribble mentality. And it was very clear that these people uh, weren't uh, interested in getting understanding. These people weren't interested in doing their own uh, work to become allies. <laughs> These are not the, that's not that kind of people. Um, and and there's a lot of them. <laughs> this is not um, a a a group of people that's uh, might might not even be in, in the minority. Um, right. To be quite um, transparent. 
And <clears throat> the I also noticed that my 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 social media feed had become extremely left. Um, and uh, to the point where I couldn't understand who these these people were, like who. <laughs> <laughs> how are they where are they getting uh their information from what are what are, what are their sources and so i really had to take a step back from social media um just to 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 gain some perspective in terms of what was going on here and so i became very deliberate about um uh following you know um you know people that i don't agree with you know and um uh, I, I instead of watching CNN, uh, you know, I watched Fox News and CNN and I would toggle back and forth and I started to um, reshape my thinking. And I remember I was watching <clears throat> in the middle of all of this uh, that was going on. Um, I was watching CNN and Bob Costas was on and um it was it was probably really um untimely for him to say this in the middle of the moment that we were in you know you kind of got to read the room but he was bold enough to say that um there are a lot of people um many people who are in agreement with the cause that will become frustrated with right. um the outspokenness of athletes because right. when they they sit down to watch sports they're they're looking at for an escape from all of that right. and this was basically getting into their uh, uh cutting into their leisure time into some degree and so athletes had to find an outlet outside of sport um uh, on their own personal platforms um to and and but i mean uh outside of the sports arena on their own personal platforms um to move the conversation forward at some point um right. and that's some point he felt like was 2021 so this is not something in the distant future so um i just thought that that was really interesting and it was a, on the don lemon show and and uh he was a little bit taken aback and he didn't really know what to say and it was a little it was a bit of an awkward moment um but uh he was he was he was uh um right in that he was really outlining something that was really, really important that I wasn't hearing said because it became taboo to explain the other side almost, you know? Um, and so um, as a journalist, I, I said, you know what, I, I have to talk about this. I have to talk about why this is problematic and, and the things that I'm seeing. And so um, it was funny um, uh, in that moment, uh, uh, a friend of mine who's an editor now at um, the Toronto Star reached out to me and asked if excuse me, asked if I would speak about uh, the Castor Semenya situation. So that was when Castor Semenya had um, uh, her, the ruling uh, that she would have to take to, um, drugs to suppress hormones and that sort of thing um, uh, came out and, and wanted me to comment on that. And um, I, because of work and everything, I, I kind of missed that. And then I said, you know what, I, I've been, I, I have this other idea, like, can, mm -hmm. can with this and so and that worked out but um yeah it was something that I, I i felt really really impressed to talk about and and put into context um what we're seeing going on and in reading 40 million dollar slaves uh for a few years back um uh i i remember just um really really connecting with that that book more than I had any other uh, uh, a book that I'd read on the subject matter because there's such so so few resources I feel uh, on this kind of thing and um, uh, I remember him talking about how um, 
the jockey syndrome and how mm-hmm. um, we can't be so foolish to think that this can't happen again. Yep. And uh, he's absolutely right. I, I think that uh, what happened on uh, January 6th in America on Capitol Hill um, is is um, uh, an attempt at this same thing. Yep. You know, uh, the jockey syndrome is not something that's unique to sport. Um, it's it's something a pattern that we've seen throughout history, and we see how it's um, uh, how it manifests in sport and how it's manifested throughout history. So to, for us to be you know foolish, to, we'd be foolish to think that this this can't happen again. And so it, it had to be it had to be it had to be it had to be talked about. It had to be addressed. And we get into a space where you're a hundred percent right that we understand when I say we, you and I. And folks in this space understand how jockey syndrome may have been a characterization of what happened in the 19th century, early 20th century in the States. Mm-hmm. That being said, if we apply it in a theoretical framework, we can see again, and for the events of January 6, 2021 in the U.S. and the Capitol, we can see how that's you know translating into different arenas and different spheres of understanding whiteness and white supremacy and suppression. So in that space, Wendy Ann, what is the jockey syndrome? What is it? Well, it's the the 13th Amendment didn't end slavery in America. It expanded it. <laughs> it's 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 I, I like that. I like that word. It expanded. expanded it. I, 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 I want students and folks listening to this podcast to understand it expanded it. And if you want to learn more about that, check out 13th documentary, Expanded yeah. It. I like that. It expanded it. It, it rebranded um, uh, the, the plantation model. Um, and, and we see that model in uh, the NCAA, in the prison industrial complex, in uh, the NBA and NFL, and, and so many other examples of that. And the jockey syndrome uh, refers to the, I guess we could say, the discomfort that white people feel uh, when uh, to black advancement and the the efforts that are made to change the rules and change the rules of engagement to to stop the advancement of of uh, a, a black majority when it it feels as though they're gaining too much power and so the jockey reference refers to uh the jockeys that dominated horse racing in mm-hmm. the eight, late 1800s so I can't remember what the numbers are, but um, I think um, 11 out of the first 16 uh, Kentucky Derby winners were, yep, were 11, black yeah. hockey, right? Yeah, 11, and, so, yeah. <clears throat> and so it was it was uh, black jockeys dominated and that had to do with, you know, um, they were taking care of the horses, slavery and all that kind of stuff. So um, uh, that was a reality. And, and after that happened, then you saw uh, a, a changing of the rules so they stopped hiring black jockeys mm-hmm. enlisting black jockeys um and to a, a, and over the course of a 20-year period black jockeys that dominated this uh sport were completely uh eliminated to this day you don't see too many black jockeys you know and we're in 2021 now mm-hmm. and so um 
this is a real thing uh, that happens. And there are examples of that in American history with Reconstruction and yep. Jim Crow. And um, we've seen this over and over again. Uh, Carol Anderson uh, wrote a great book, uh, White Rage, um, that 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 talks about this 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 anger. And 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 I think that uh, we have to uh, really make the distinction that when we talk about white anger, we're not necessarily talking about uh, white hoods <laughs> and uh, <laughs> burning crosses on people's law. There's right. obviously a very, very wide spectrum, you know, of of um, of of of, uh, of of that kind of mentality. You know, um, there are, you know, the, the I, I believe the people that that stormed on on Capitol Hill on January 6th, that they are uh, a, a very small mi- minority of people, even within the people that are, are, are Trump supporters. I think most Trump supporters are like that. That was that they went too far. Um, but um, the the people even that are more moderate Trump supporters are still very much on that side of things. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, <clears throat> there's there's a, a very, very wide audience of people that are are very triggered by black advancement. And, uh, what um, uh, 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 William Roden talks about is um, black athletes being praised and simultaneously resented Ooh. their athletic talent. LeBron which, James. Yeah, exactly. Which creates a, a tension um, that that can't last. So that comes to a head at some point. And um, I think uh, what I was uh, getting at in the article is that uh, you you see the rumblings of of that coming to a head. You know, this discomfort with Okay, these guys are, you know, advancing too much. These guys maybe have gained too much power. And then you have somebody like um, Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, who has this very, um, you know, he has this job. He wants to, uh, you know, have the athletes to feel uh, safe enough to express themselves. Uh, This is how uh, the NBA has branded themselves and they have been incredibly successful at that and it's been very financially lucrative. Um, The NBA has uh, gained a reputation as the most progressive of the sports leagues. However, there's still very much a plantation model. Anytime you have a system where Black uh, people make up the bulk of the labor force, but any significant executive control or yes you have a plantation model and a system like that regardless of how famous and how much money lebron's making and all these guys are making um it's 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 uh you are um at risk because you don't have that control or power and one of the things that i i was observing and this is a very very nuanced conversation especially for for um, people like you and I, Christopher, that understand that Black people are not this undifferentiated mass of people, that mm-hmm. there are different, different uh, perspectives within Blackness, and people have different relationships with, how can I say this, um, different relationships with the reality of racism in America. Good way to put it. I like that. Good way to put it. Okay. So when I cross the border, I become an African-American from yep. a visual standpoint. However, it's been a journey for me to understand uh, the unique brand of racism in America. 
and uh, <clears throat> why it's I, for the longest time I couldn't understand why watermelon was so insulting. I'm like, didn't everybody like watermelon? <laughs> like, what? Didn't everybody like fried chicken? Like, I didn't, didn't, I didn't, I didn't get it. But when you right. understand the history, um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, 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 um, it, it becomes very clear. And so when we talk about um, how people are saying, you know, it's impossible to have an NBA without black athletes black yeah. athletes they dominate the sport in fact they dominate a ton of sports now yeah. um it's impossible there's and so i, I think it, it creates this false sense of security and so i think it's that's why it's so important to go back to the jockey because mm-hmm. the doctor jockey dominated the sport and yet yes. yet to this day uh we we don't see a lot of black jockeys because of what happened in the late 1800s and so um uh yes so this 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 we've already seen uh, a movement towards globalization um in, in uh um in the nba uh 75% of uh nba players uh right now are put in the african american category yep, yep. however with even in the with the with the numbers that we have available within that we don't know how many of those people are african american in the sense that they were born and raised in Af- in, in america right so um somebody like um uh, uh some of our players that are more international players or overseas that are black like sort of yes, siakam embiid exactly they all even canadian players black canadian players they're all falling into the category of african-american exactly which 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 um is is not really the case and so the uh the the, the very um monumental moment in 2016 at the sp awards when um carmelo chris paul um uh, LeBron, LeBron yeah. and uh, Dwayne Wade um, made their very um, impassioned speech. Um, that really, for me, was like the moment that okay, we on um, that that moment was such a significant moment yeah. in in the movement uh, towards everything, and it really set off a, a movement uh, at that. Uh, many athletes uh, became really engaged in this conversation and um, showed that these are not people that are, uh, these are, these are educated people. These are people that are, are not afraid to stand up for what they believe. This Mm -hmm. is, um, uh, this is, it's, it it really um, struck a, a new day. Uh, which mm-hmm. is in stark contrast to the generation before them. So these 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 players are incredibly intentional, incredibly um, aware, and uh, they want to make a difference. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, um, they also lack the executive control right Thank now, you. which puts them in a very very unique position. And so I was talking, I was lots of trade talk a little bit. But I was talking about the globalization, and so. <clears throat> And this is a conversation that's not just happening in sport, mind you. This is a conversation that's happening in in um, uh, you know acting and mm-hmm. in different forms of uh, of life. And um, when you are from the developing world, for example, and my family is from Jamaica, uh, uh, so there's there's a different uh, relationship to uh, the idea of America when yes. you're from the developing world. Yes. So if you are 
uh, uh, an athlete that's growing up in Nigeria or the Congo or wherever. You, Let's the, use Nigeria. Nigeria is a, a good linchpin here because we're right. going to tie this to Maasai. So Nigeria is good. Continue. Right. So um, you think the, the we think, and I can say that even as uh, a kid that grew up in Canada, <laughs> you know, right next door, you think of America uh, as some kind of utopia, you know, um, as 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 the promised land, so to speak, that that um, that 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 Rodin um, references and uh, a place that you can go and like the, the streets are paved with gold and all this kinds of things. I'm not saying that that's a, a uni- there obviously there's a, a spectrum of ideas right. of America, but um, it, it, it's genuinely seen as a place where, you know, you can, you can, it's the American dream, you know, come from nothing and, and become something great. Okay. Right. The reality of America when you get there is very different. I remember being nine years old and and driving through the streets of Detroit and and being shocked at like um, the slums. And I yep. thought, wow, this looks like some of the the areas that we drive through in 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 the very very poor areas in Jamaica. Like it looked, there was no difference. Like you could take a picture and you wouldn't know where they were, you know. And I thought, wow, this is America. Yep. I'd never see something like this in Canada. Like I just thought that it was so strange to me. And I think that's a the reality that happens. However, um, for a lot of athletes, um, you enter into once you've expressed and you've shown that you have a certain amount of talent, you go into the athlete uh, bubble, you know. And so um, it's there's a, a certain measure of privilege. And so you're you're in many ways kind of. Um, taken down a conveyor belt to success. And so uh, the realities of what's happening uh, on the ground are, are very different. And so while racism ex- is experienced all over the world, in many ways you can say that racism is, 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 is worse in Canada because it's so covert, you know what I mean, and in Europe and all across the world, um, America has a unique brand of racism that has never been addressed, hasn't even been formally acknowledged. Mm. Um, And it needs to be addressed. And the relationship with uh, um, the African-Americans and uh, the the nation needs to be formally addressed and rectified. And it has not been as yet. And so depending on where an athlete is coming from, even if they're black, they can have a different understanding of what that is and not completely comprehend it. So when we talk about this movement towards globalization and this what we're already seeing is like more international athletes, while that's wonderful, it also um, can potentially and we have something we need to really be aware of, particularly as in, uh, international black athletes, that this can be used as a tool um, to um, take the sting out yes. of conversation on race. Thank you. So the more um, uh, athletes that we have, um, it, it's funny because I, was, I don't remember the name of the documentary. It's on Netflix. But it was a bunch of actors and they were having this conversation on why so many black British actors are playing these huge figures in American history. So Harriet Tubman and oh, all right, right. and, and um, MLK. And uh, and this has been a, a, an issue of contention, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with with, you know, um, uh, you know, 
black people overseas. They're like, racism is everywhere. Like we understand racism. Um, and um, somebody said, and it just, it really struck me, um, said that there is, um, it's, it's racism is experienced everywhere. But he's, they said that they, what they think, the reason why these people were, were getting these roles, and not to say they shouldn't get the roles, because they absolutely should, we just need to have these conversations. He said that, um, that or was a she, I think, um, said that there was something about the portrayal uh, by uh, European actors that, I don't remember the exact language she used, but it took the, the sting out of the that made it, it was a little less close for them. The story yeah. was a little less close for them. So it made the portrayal a little bit more palpable to mm. a little less uncomfortable for, for, for white audience that are, are, are prone to fragility. Yeah. I'll <laughs> even know? take a step further in that space, because I mean, that's something that we've been seeing in Canada and the U S for a very long time, particularly after the, the quote unquote liberalization of immigration policy. Um, places like New York, places like Toronto, particularly in Nova Scotia and Canada, there's always been this play, particularly when we're looking at West, Black West Indians vis-a-vis African Canadians or African Americans that, well, because we came from, especially in the 1960s, we came from, you know, at nearly 130 years of independence, we have Black prime ministers and so on and so forth, we are seen as better than the quote-unquote Indigenous Blacks of Canada and the U.S., Right. And that's how governments, particularly Canadian U.S. governments, played this divide and conquer mm-hmm. against black people. That, oh, yeah. you're West Indian, you're more educated versus you're African-American, you live through Jim Crow, you're lower than. So to your point there, uh, Wendy Ann, about us understanding these differences within black communities, mm-hmm. plural, mm-hmm. is critically important. And something that you mentioned, I find to be very, very important this dynamic within the NBA. Mm-hmm. I, I think we, we might be dating ourselves, <laughs> but uh, particularly for, for a younger audience, but we, viv- we remember David Stern, right? We remember David Stern. We remember Allen Iverson. Mm-hmm. Um, we remember the dress code. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about the jockey syndrome, we can see how systemic racism and white supremacy has been embedded within a sport that is seen to be progressive but meanwhile still controlling mm-hmm. black expression black bodies a product that the nba is unabashedly selling <laughs> like they're selling blackness that's what the nba sells yeah absolutely. period full stop and so one of the things that really kind of pulls me back in this, it's, you know, and looking at your article and reading pieces here, what do, what should we do when we have the comments of why does everything have to be about race or I just want to watch sports or the Bob Costas? So FYI, folks, if you don't know Bob Costas, he's like the Olympic guy. Like he is the guy when it comes to, to sport. Um, what do we do when we're challenged with this shut up and dribble? Jeez. Christopher, that's the question, you know. Um, I think this is um, this is a I think this is a good spot to talk about Michael Jordan. So, um, wait, who's Michael Jordan? (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's like, you you mean that guy from the the Last Dance? No, we actually mean the player, like the real dude. Player, 
that Christopher and I are old enough to remember what he actually played. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Before he played with the Wizards, yeah. by the way. Yeah. So that, that kind of stung a little bit. Yeah. yeah. We the the last dance was a reminder, not a not an education, in, in so to speak. But uh, <laughs> um, so I think that uh, a lot of people don't understand what happened with the Jordan generation. So the Jordan generation came about, um, it was was a generation essentially that arose after the civil rights movement. So there was a lot of um, uh, going into that for for decades since the abolition of slavery, there was the athlete activist was, if you were black, uh, it was it was not unusual. You know, we had Jack Johnson and Muhammad Ali and Jackie Robinson and a, yep. a, a, a host of figures, Jesse Owens, of, of figures throughout history that that uh, took that mantle. So this this shut up and dribble uh, mentality um, is is. Um, is is the, the, this what we're seeing now and this this shut up and dribble conversation um it's it's it athlete activists are, are not new this is not a new thing you know it's a new, not, not a modern day phenomenon so um but what happened was in the, the the generation that um arose after the civil rights movement it that's when um color blindness and this notion that uh, I don't see color really became uh, a thing. This is when uh, people like um, uh, uh, saw the success of, 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 of black athletes. They saw the success of uh, black people in, in media, the uh, Oprah Winfrey's and, well, yeah. mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, and people rising in their fields. BET coming to the rise at this exactly, time too. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Bob Johnson and using mm-hmm. black celebrity as an example to say, Hey, look, there's no racism. Like if you work hard and you put in the work, um, then you can do anything. You know what I mean? And <clears throat> It, it really uh, played into this idea. And you still hear this conversation from a lot of people of a certain generation where they'll say, what's wrong with black people? Why can't black people do? Why can't black? And this, 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 this idea and this notion that um, black people are, are somehow less. Like if they just worked hard, they wouldn't have all these barriers, these, these challenges wouldn't exist, right? And so... Um, that generation, um, uh, led by Michael Jordan, um, who was famous for being apolitical on all things, um, uh, um, and there's some famous quotes that I mean I'm sure that you discuss in your course that, that you can look up. But um, uh, he has heavily criticized for for not doing enough to move the needle forward in the conversation on race, and rightfully. Uh, um, 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 criticized and rightfully so. So, <clears throat> and this is something that was touched on in the documentary as well. And a, a conversation that continues and you see now that he's had a bit of an awakening and yep. he's gonna do some things now, which is which is great, it's never too late. But at the height of his his career, I think people need to understand who Michael Jordan was. It's, there was there's no comparison no. to who Michael Jordan was. No. LeBron is not a comparison. Not even close. At, at, at the at the at the most, he's a, a prototype. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not like, even close. Yeah, we're not even just talking about basketball. Just what no. Jordan did 
what Jordan did, what he globally like <laughs> how revolutionized yeah. sport, how he dominated. There was nobody that there was like you, you couldn't have a conversation about who the greatest was. That wasn't a conversation. It was like it was there was no conversation. Everybody knew who the greatest was, right? And uh, his his impact and influence uh, socially was huge. And so having the platform that he had. He didn't um, he didn't he didn't use it in race. He he chose to say uh, um, uh, play this colorblind card in transcending race that we see with, with OJ and and that sort of thing. And so <clears throat> uh, the generation uh, after that. Uh, so this is this is LeBron generation, I'll call mm-hmm. them. They saw that and um, they have are determined to right the wrongs of that generation. So no, we haven't moved forward, you know? No, if anything, um, something like the Obama presidency only highlighted um, the reality of America, you know, Mm -hmm. the reality of racism in America. And so um, these athletes are not, they're serious. They're 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 serious about the cause. They're educated. These are not people that you can even um, suggest that they should shut up and dribble because mm-hmm. these are they there's they've really done their homework and uh, they're um, genuinely um, desiring to make change. Mm-hmm. However, they're in a very interesting predicament because they lack power they lack the executive control and so um they they're they they these protests are happening the the these these things that we're we're all standing here and we're saying oh that's so awesome that they did that and we celebrate them for that they join their hands in a circle and then they continue playing you know yeah. and <clears throat> and to to protest it takes real sacrifice yes real sacrifice mm-hmm. and when we look at somebody like uh, Muhammad Ali who Ooh. gave up his career really in the height right. of his career before yes. and went broke because of what he believed um he's he's celebrated now as a hero but he was canceled yeah okay <laughs> hard like hard it's like if, hard. if somebody came to LeBron sorry LeBron between the ages of 26 and 32 you ain't gonna play Christopher Taylor that's why <laughs> That's exactly what happened. That's why I'm folks to understand. You ain't gonna yeah. play LeBron, and then you still come out at 33 and mm-hmm. dominate. Listen, that's what happened. Yeah. And so, um, the the, the there have been um, the NBA players have done, um, and kudos to them the the stuff that they've done to 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 give voice to this and really take a leadership role in sports and WNBA players as well have for had sure WNBA for sure an yeah. incredible role in that as well in 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 moving the conversation forward and making sure that it stays at the center of things but at the same time they're employees of a organization and so there's a line that they're trying to figure out and that line that they're trying to to toy, you know, and it will be it's very um, significant to note that the the athletes that have been really the most outspoken and the most um, at the, the forefront of this have been African American athletes. And when I say African Americans, I'm not saying that as a, you know, a, a synonym for black. I'm saying athletes that were born and raised 
in America yes. and 100%. understand the unique, yes, the insidious brand of racism yes. in America. Yes. So these are the, the the gentlemen that are impassioned about this. Yes. And um, as the conversations move forward, it is important. It is imperative. It is essential that people like um, people, black athletes all across the globe take notice and make sure that they're doing the work, the type of work that we ask white people to do. Make sure that we're all doing the work so that we can be all on the same page. And um, as, uh, you know, uh, the NBA searches for answers to this, that from a business standpoint is a problem. Because Adam Silver doesn't want to divide his audience. No, he does not. (laughs) So... Uh, there, there are ways right now that you can keep black athletes in the game and remove some of the, the, the heat, yep. you know, um, uh, but you can only do that if there's uh, ignorance and there's a lack of unity and yes. awareness. And so that's what uh, I think needs to happen. So we're in a very, very interesting moment um because of covid uh, ratings across the board across all sports have gone down so we don't know what the impact of all of this is going to be but um if the 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 people online the voices online um are any indication um i like after conversation like i I did a piece for uh cbc back right when the uh, I think it was in July or August or something. And um, the comments that I, there was not one comment that was like, Hey, I read this. And <laughs> I, like, it was, thanks for telling your story. Like black man, you know, it was, it yeah. was, it was all like, I'm tired of hearing this. I'm tired. I'm sick. Of, I'm sick of this. Why don't they actually just shut up? Like you're in Canada. Like you have opportunities. Shut up, right. shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. In some way, shape or form, I'm hearing shut up. And so um, we don't know what the impact is, but police believe that NBA executives are watching this very closely. Please believe that the players themselves are aware of this dynamic and are in conundrum trying to figure out how do we how do we do this? How do we how should we be? How do we be Ali and but like not be Ali? (laughs) Thank you. How do we be Ali but not be Ali? Thank you. How do we how do we tour this line, you know, and 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 uh, keep our role uh, as uh, dominant without really really making the sacrifices that um, really true um, pure protests require. So it's um it's uh I don't have the answer. I don't know. Maybe you have the answer. Me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> this, we're just we're 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 here and. Um, I think right now the real answer is awareness. Yeah. You know, I think we have to have this conversation. We have to, I don't want to call nobody out, but there are media outlets. No, I'll call them up. Actually, no, I'll call them up for you. After. <laughs> you, you, you work in them spaces. I don't yeah, media outlets are having the conversations um, about like the, the use of the word because African-American uh, is, has been used as a synonym for black. And it's not. Know? And it's not, you know, I, I when I cross the border, I, I become an African-American to people uh, that look at me 
but I, I, from a, I am a, a, um, a, a Canadian <laughs> of Caribbean descent. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly and what it is. Yep. That's what I am, you know, and African-Americans and we, I have my own experience, you know, and African-Americans have their own experience and we need to respect that, acknowledge that just like, you know, Af- uh, Africans in South Africa had their own experience in mm-hmm. apartheid. Um, African-Americans are having their own experience and, um, the reckoning on racism, that conversation needs to continue. And it need, they need, they're, they're, they're looking for some tangible, tangible change in yes. that nation. And it's important that we don't allow it to be watered down by the different dynamics within Blackness because mm-hmm. um, Black people are often seen as an undifferentiated mass when there is so much variation, so much diversity that needs to be, um, uh, 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 people need to be aware of at all levels. Yeah, especially media. Wendy, Ann, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm like, man, I wish we have five hours to just to mm-hmm. chat. And this the frame I wanna leave folks, particularly a Canadian audience, is to, and what you just said there about the, the differences, the quote unquote diversity of blackness. I just want folks to think of the Toronto Raptors for a second. You have Lowry mm-hmm. from Philly, mm-hmm. so an African American. Mm-hmm. Van Vliet, African American. However, we got to bring in colorism and pigmentocracies here. Very mm-hmm. light skinned. Mm-hmm. Named Van Vliet. <laughs> for let's put that there. Mm-hmm. You have OG, mm-hmm. black man from the UK, born in the UK. Siakam mm-hmm. from Cameroon, and we're not even gonna include Ibaka, and I'm not even gonna include. Say, for example, Maasai from Nigeria. And mm-hmm. so we're, as you're explaining there, we're trying to fit in this, you know, this African-American centric framing of anti-black racism or the black experience. But if we were just looking literally at the Toronto Raptors starting lineup, we have four very different experiences of blackness right there on top of that in Canada on a Canadian team run by a conglomerate of MLSE that really just cares about hockey. So I think that's really important. So Wendy Ann, how this was fantastic. I mean, I'm sitting here like I want to chat for days. I Mm -hmm. legit want to. How can people get a hold of you, connect with you, Mm -hmm. next steps, continue this conversation? How can I get a hold of you? Um, I can be found on Twitter at uh, Wendy Ann Runs as well on Instagram at the same handle. Um, <clears throat> I have a, a, a an interesting relationship with so- social media right now, and I'm uh, figuring out how to toy that line uh, as a journalist, um, as a black journalist in particular. Um, so I don't post a lot, but you can definitely reach me there. I'm there um, as well. You can check out my YouTube channel, Color Commentary, uh, color spelled Canadian style. Um, Canadian style, I love that. Canadian yeah. style. What are you, folks? What are you? <laughs> where, where I I've uh, posted several uh, videos um, on on conversations that we're having today um, uh, that look at race and social justice and how they they intersect and and how we can put those things in their historical context to understand what's happening today. So um, they're pretty much evergreen videos, so uh, um, uh, people can check that out as well. Perfect. I'll be sharing those on our course page. So you have all this information there. Again, Wendy Ann, thank you. Thank you so much. I want to get you on another podcast. Um, I do. Somehow we're going to make it happen. I know you're busy as ever. Um, You know, this 13th month of December. 
but uh, <laughs> we uh, we definitely want to pull you on. So Wendy Ann, again, thank you, thank you, thank yes. you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me.